Welcome to our latest PedPod from Early Education. This is where we have a series of podcasts meeting inspirational leaders and teachers who can tell us so much about pedagogy and practice. I'm Cathy Gunning, Pedagogic Lead with Early Education, and today I'm with Suzanne Zedike. We're meeting at the Early Education National Conference and we've just had an amazing day full of inspiration and we've also heard Suzanne speak so much about connection and relationship. So hopefully we'll cover some of that today. Suzanne's a doctor and a research scientist. She's fascinated with sharing how babies and children connect with us. Hi, Suzanne. I am delighted <laughs> to be here, Kathy. Hi. <laughs> it's great that you've given time to us today. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your work, please? Sure. I am, by training, a research scientist, and I was at the University of Dundee in Scotland for almost 20 years where I studied the communication abilities and capacities that babies bring with them at birth and how they engage with and communicate with parents and then how the responses that they get from parents goes on to shape their brain development and their body development and their physiology. And I loved that and thought it was fascinating. And increasingly over the 20 years that I was there, realized that lots of people outside of academia didn't have access to that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. nursery staff teachers parents mm-hmm. social workers mm-hmm. you know a- anybody and everybody really I think deserves to have that so it's eight years ago now I took voluntary severance and began to work toward working with the public and really disseminating that science that I loved so much and I love it and in the last in those eight years we've had over 50,000 people at live events and we do, I do quite a lot on social media. And so we're just really trying to reach the public to help them to understand how important relationships are and what the science tells us about that. Because yeah. that gives us then um, confidence to look more closely at, at practice and the way we, are, we relate to each other mm. and treat our children. Mm. That science gives mm. us confidence to, especially to take new decisions where we need to and not to value the really excellent mm. things that are already going mm. on, not to take them for granted. So I love that. I'm really glad you're doing that as well, bringing Good, that me message too. to everybody. <laughs> you talk a lot about connection and connectedness and um, relationship. Can you tell us what led you into that that passion? Have you always had it, or did you? Well, you know, I spent lots of time with children when I was young, mm. so I was comfortable with young children in a way that many adults today aren't. You know, mm. there are many parents. Mm. The first time they really held a baby Mm. is when they hold their own baby for the first time. Mm. And that's interesting Mm. to think Mm. about the the significance of parenthood. You know, in our, traditionally in our human history, that's not what would have happened. We'd have grown up in families with babies around us. Um, So so that's just interesting to reflect on in my history, my personal history. But secondly, when I got to developmental psychology, because that's what I was trained in, Mm and began to do work with babies, I just thought it was fascinating. I always have, and now I just realize I don't think that will ever go away. Mm. I think it's fascinating that before a baby is born, Mm. a baby can already hear the sound of the voices around them. So they arrive knowing who their mother is because she's there all the time. They hear her voice. They know who she is by sound. Mm. And if dad is there Mm. or grandma or granda Mm. or big brother and sister, they know who is going to be in their world. And once you get your head yeah. on that, yeah. they also then know whether there's a lot of laughing and singing going on yeah. or whether they're shouting and crying. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And so babies' expectations mm -hmm. of the world and how stressful it's going to be or not are already formed when they're born. And just thinking about what the implications of that I yeah. think are fascinating. Yeah. So here's another example. Yeah. We used to think that babies couldn't see, and that was kind of common cultural knowledge. We now know that they can see, and in fact they can see so well. Now they can't see all the way across the room, but they can see close up. And so if you're close up with a baby and you and the baby's calm and awake and mm. you know, brand new babies, mm. if you stick mm. your tongue out at mm. them, they will stick their tongue back out at you. It, when you see that happen, it, it feels really deeply meaningful. And one way to describe w what that's telling us is that babies are wired for connection. Yes. They're wired to make meaning of whatever you do. Yes. And, they're, and they're wired to respond in kind if they can. So it means that a baby isn't going, well, that's really weird. Why are you sticking out your tongue? The baby, brand newborn baby, is going, oh, that must, that must mean something. Like, oh, that must be how they say hello here. Okay, so we stick our tongues out at each other to say hello. Now, of course, a baby isn't really thinking that. But what I'm trying to do is to try to find words and descriptions and images that will help us to think more about what does it mean for a baby. Because a baby is absolutely making meaning mm. of the interaction that they have with you. Mm. And they're making meaning of whatever mm. is happening with them in your presence. They think it is meaningful. And then you start to think about all the experiences a baby has, and it becomes really mind-blowing to think all the things that they have to make meaning of. And, and then it just builds from there. And I just think that is endlessly fascinating. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it is, it's, it's really fascinating. It's fascinating because it gives us a picture, I suppose, of a, a baby who's born into the world ready to make relationship and ready to make connection. And, Absolutely. And how do we... Or how do adults, you know, respond to that invitation, I suppose? And of course, we live in a culture where lots of people won't realize it's an invitation. A culture gives you ideas about a baby, about a baby's capacities and about how you're supposed to engage with babies. How could it be otherwise? And then you start to think, okay, where do cultures get their ideas about babies? Because they're the sorts of things we just don't reflect on. Mm. So some examples are, you know, our culture believes really strongly in babies sleeping in their own cots. Mm -hmm. And our culture is has big debates about sleep training. Other cultures don't do that. And traditionally, babies would not have slept in their own mm -hmm. cot. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, in our human history, babies slept next to their parents. Mm -hmm. There was no cave down the corridor. You know, they slept next to their parents. Yeah. And in many yeah. other cultures, they still do. But our culture... Yeah expects babies to sleep on their own. That example is highly controversial. Anybody who has an, a young baby will know that sleep and sleep training is something that gets parents often to be tense with each other, that parents judge themselves a lot about. I think if people understand that babies aren't actually meant to sleep on their own, mm -hmm. we then can make more sense of their, of their behavior. Mm -hmm. And then parents can make more informed decisions. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. you just do what your culture, yeah. It, yeah. you know, what your culture outlines to you, yeah. and that doesn't mean that parents shouldn't make their own decisions for themselves. But it just means that that often our culture gives us ideas that we don't know to think about. So let me give one other mm -hmm, example: mm -hmm. baby buggies. Mm -hmm, yeah, because I yeah. talk a lot about that, mm -hmm. and I did a piece of research on that it's nearly t it's ten years ago now. 
our culture transports babies in baby buggies. Yes. We don't think about that. Yes. It's just ordinary. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, mm -hmm. in the whole of human history, mm -hmm. babies would have been carried against parents' bodies. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. baby carriers are quite hip. What, for two centuries, mm -hmm. we have increasingly put babies in baby buggies that face forward. And if you don't know that babies come into the world connected and you don't think about it, you don't know to think what kind of experience is a baby having. And until they're nine months old, babies don't even know you exist if they can't hear you, smell you, yes. see you. Right. And that's going on to affect their brain development right. and their body development mm. and their stress systems. Mm. And mm. I think parents have a right to know that, mm. to think about that. And I really think that buggy companies have a responsibility to tell parents that, but they often don't know themselves. So those are just two examples of the way that your culture shapes yeah. ideas yeah. that have implications for how we develop that that I think we should talk more about. And I'm thrilled that you that you are having these conversations about buggies because it makes the world of difference to have a a, a child in a in a buggy if they're not if they're not in a sling. If if the child's in a buggy facing you, it just makes the world of difference. Baby can't make sense of the world without your help. If you're not there to share, you know, what the yeah. the leaves that are falling and the dog that is coming and the baby has to make sense of what is happening on their own. And babies' brain development and their body development, they're not built to do that on their own yet. They need help and a relationship to do yes. that with. So yes. our babies end up doing many more things alone than we realize yes. because that's what our culture taught us. Now, here's one of the risks of what I do. Anybody listening to what I just said who has their baby in a forward-facing buggy who's never thought about this, Sometimes people end up feeling bad and they feel guilty and they wonder how they harmed their baby. And I don't want that. So how do we talk about these things that are scary and surprising mm. and they can make us feel guilty? One of the challenges mm. is mm. how do we talk about these things whilst helping people to feel curious rather than bad about themselves? And, and that's one of the tricky things. And, of course, we talked about that today. Yes. Do, um, yes. If attachment-led practice yes. in, in settings, yes. in earlier settings, is important, is that just a matter of choice or actually is it essential? And, therefore, if you have a setting that isn't attachment-led, doesn't have relationships at the center of its policies and practice, do, does that mean your children are harmed? Is harm the best word? Does that make people feel bad? Or actually, should we be using strong language in order to really get people to think about it? Mm. You know, those are the mm. kinds of conversations mm. we were having today. Yes. And I think different people have different feelings about what kind of wording yes. do we use. Yes. But we've had attachments science yeah. since yeah. the 1940s. Yeah. And it really is not at the center yet yeah. of our earlier policies and practice. Yeah. For all that, there's a lot of great practice out there. There's also a lot of settings that don't have relationships at the center, and the science tells us that's crucially important for children's thriving. And I think people deserve to know so that they can think about it, debate it, and we can really make more informed decisions. And I think, I think having conversations like this and hearing more from you and reading more about attachment will help us on that journey and will help us maybe to support other people to consider those views or to implement it in their practice because the more we hear, the more we grow, hopefully. Especially if we can stay in a curious and what I often call a courageous yes. place. Nice. Because it takes yes. courage to think about these yes. 
sometimes really unsettling things. So let me give an example of what attachment-led practice might look yes. like. Great, thank you. We talked today about greeting children as they come through the door. I say the most important moment in a child's day mm -hmm. is drop-off. Mm -hmm. But if we even just think about the language, you could call that drop-off, you could call that greeting, you could call that welcome. Uh -huh. Those three pieces of language imply different experiences. Yes. Yes. We typically call it drop-off. Yeah. So the language of our culture <laughs> tells us that what happens in that moment is you're meant to just drop off your kid. Yes, the implication. Yeah. Yes. That is not what your kid thinks no. is supposed to happen. Your kid, and of course mm. I'm trying to, I'm using extreme language here because mm. I'm trying to help us to laugh. Mm. Because when you start to think about it, it can make folks uncomfortable mm. and nervous because, because you may have not thought about these things before. Definitely. Okay, so... <clears throat> When a parent brings their child to nursery, there's going to be a separation. Yes. And at the heart of attachment theory is an understanding that separation is scary for human beings, especially for little human beings. Mm -hmm. They feel safe in the presence of their caretakers, mm -hmm. and so to be separated from them is quite scary. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because they're so dependent, and once upon a time, you know, zillions of years ago in our evolutionary history, if you were left alone, you would be eaten mm -hmm. by predators like saber-toothed tigers. So mm -hmm. I frequently talk about saber-toothed tigers as a way of thinking about the fear of attachment. And so a baby in separation is in what I call a saber-toothed tiger moment, or at least a possible saber-toothed tiger moment, yeah. unless they are with other people they feel safe with. So if they yes. feel really safe in their setting, yes. then and they're happy to go to somebody else, then that's not scary for them. But for many, many babies, that's hard, and it is scary. Babies don't actually realize that people are employed to take care of them, mm -hmm. especially babies and young children. They think that you're there because you love them. If they understood that you were paid to be there, they would be appalled their brain and body can only assume yeah. that you love them. Yeah. That's why you're there. And actually, yeah. you are part of their extended family. Because your trusted person is handing you over exactly. to this person. And yeah. your trusted person yeah. will never give you to anybody that yeah. they don't trust. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. you must be a member of my extended family. You are really an auntie yeah. or an uncle. Yeah. So they think in terms of family yeah. and belonging and think it's entirely the wrong word. That's how they function. Yeah. They are now in the company of Auntie Julie or Auntie Morag or... If Auntie Julie isn't welcoming them in a way that feels welcoming and safe mm. and comforting mm. while mommy has to mm. go to work, mm. what they begin to learn is that love isn't safe and comforting. We don't think of drop-off as a moment in which babies are learning about love, mm. but it is. Mm. Mm. Because this person that I'm being handed over to who, who is in a relationship with me and wants to communicate actually isn't. They're, they might be looking the other way or there might be especially if you have staff ratios that don't let that staff tune into that baby if you have like a drop-off routine where 10 children arrive all at the same time yeah. you can't personally yeah. welcome 10 yeah. children yeah so if we truly thought about attachment yeah. we would work out different drop-off routines yeah. Yeah. But when you have a session that yeah. starts at nine o'clock then everyone arrives you know very closely around nine o'clock or 
if you have a mother who needs to get to work and she's anxious because she might be about to lose her mm -hmm. job if she doesn't mm -hmm. get it, then you have a rough, you mm -hmm. can have mm -hmm. a rough drop-off mm -hmm. time with the baby so that the baby thinks something dangerous is happening here if there isn't time to make that transition. If that happens often enough, especially if the staff person isn't available to carry them and comfort them until they calm down and say, okay, I'm ready to get off your yeah. hip. Yeah. Yeah. then that begins to get built yeah. into their biology yeah. Yeah. and leave takings from other people in the future, yeah. it becomes an unconscious expectation of what that will be like. Yeah. 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 So we need to think about greetings. We need yeah. to think about yeah. pickups. Yeah. We need to think about transitions. We need to think about all sorts of moments in the day. We need to think about conflict, how you help to settle conflict with children in a way where they're learning about repair mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and we're not just making them feel badly about themselves mm -hmm. because they ended up taking another child's toy. Mm -hmm. Attachment led practice will let yeah. you start to think more deeply about all of that. Yeah, probably sort of my next question really about um, attachment led practice in in how we think about that in from from any age really from babies and nurseries and and in primary schools. You've talked about welcomes. You've talked about um, times of conflict. Would there be would there be any tips or suggestions you could give to us about really if we're if we're a practitioner or a teacher or somebody caring for a group of children in, in whatever context what might be our I don't know our the the things we need to focus on most That's a great question. I'm sorry, it's a really huge question. It's a huge question, <laughs> and I'm actually going to turn it back to you, Kathy. <laughs> Rather than me tell folks what to do, yeah. I work really hard at helping people to understand how important relationships are and what it looks like, and then hoping that they will feel confident and curious enough to start to think about what that might mean for their setting. So if I give some examples of what other places have done, um, I know schools where the head teacher is at the gate every morning to welcome children and families before they come through the gate because they're trying to think about decreasing cortisol levels long before you get to the classroom. Right. And they do that not just because it's a standard part of culture, but because they are thinking deeply okay. about welcoming okay. and that's attachment-led for them. Right. Um, I know nurseries that put cuddles on the signs that, that are above the door before you walk through. Okay. So they're specifically communicating, rather than worrying about numeracy and literacy here, okay. we focus on relationships. I know secondary schools who greet young people at the door with a handshake or an elbow bump or a fist bump yeah. because they have taken on board yeah. these sorts of yeah. thoughts. Yeah. I know primary schools yeah. who give out connection bracelets yeah. so that the parents and the children have matching connection bracelets so that they, it's a way of staying in touch throughout the whole of the day. And they especially, they give them to all the children who they really had in mind is the children who were struggling the most. Yeah. So those are just quick examples of things that other settings have done themselves once they came to understand how important this was. And so the key thing I'm trying to do is encourage people to get curious and confident right. about using these insights. Yes. Okay, thank you. We'll hold on to that. You've given us a great taster, really, of your 
message and, and I think in helping us to be stimulated and inspired in thinking about attachment led practice and connection and relationship and all the things that I think are so, so crucial and valuable in early years, not just in early years, in, in education. Throughout the whole of life, yes. really. Yes. yes. So just before we finish our conversation, can I just ask you, which is probably quite an unfair question, just to tell us a little bit about the work you're doing around ACEs and sure. um, adverse childhood experiences. There's Thank been you. a real upsurge in an area of science called adverse childhood experiences, ACEs for short, which has been around for 20 years, and it very much overlaps with what we've already been talking about. And that has been a, given us an understanding that if children grow up in fear mm-hmm. of, of adverse childhood experiences, what I call saber-toothed tiger moments, okay. so st- stress, trauma, yes. that they don't have anybody to help them with, that yes. is unbuffered, that yes. is in the absence of protective, supportive relationships, that changes their biology. Yes. It changes the way your brain develops, and it changes the self-regulatory system in your body. And then that science has been able to show that that's related to, in adulthood, mental health problems and physical health problems, like depression or like heart disease, Mm -hmm. liver disease, Mm -hmm. diabetes. Mm -hmm. And that's been, I think, the Mm -hmm. really um, light bulb Mm -hmm. moment, is Mm -hmm. that people realize that physical health is affected by that. And so that area of thinking has prompted a gigantic discussion that's increasingly going on globally. We heard about Bradford mm-hmm. today. We mm-hmm. heard about Tower Hamlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of work going in Derbyshire. Mm-hmm. So those areas are doing work in England. Mm-hmm. Certainly Wales has done a lot of work. And in Scotland, we now have a vision for what we call an ace-aware nation, where the vision is to have all five million of our citizens yes understand this science so that we truly take on board how important relationships are and we put relationship thinking at the center of all our public policies but it also it seeps into our culture and I am hugely excited about what's happening there's a fair bit of debate going on it Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. and I take that debate as a sign that really we're having kinds of discussions Mm -hmm. that we hadn't had before so I want everybody to be part of that conversation great me too and just before we finish, I've, you know, you, you've you've referred us to to material that we can make available on the website when, with this, in, along with this podcast. Terrific, so, yeah, Suzanne, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to be with all of you today. I've, I'm leaving with a real buzz. <laughs> we look forward to releasing this ped pod that Suzanne's done for us on our websites. And as I've said, any papers and links will put on the website accompanying the podcast. And we're at early-education.org.uk or on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks, Suzanne. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a really good evening. Good night.